morning, church. Uh, welcome to our neighbors. Glad that you are here with us this morning. Kind of a special morning, um, and yeah, cool. We are uh, we're going to dig into a, a new series this morning called Signal in the Static. Um, I don't know if you have had the feeling that there is just a lot, a lot, a lot of noise in the world. There are a lot of voices that are trying to pull us and trying to lead us and trying to guide us. Many of them trying to get us to just buy things that they're selling. Um, and sometimes the voices that we have yelling in our ears uh, are, are saying contradictory things and claiming that they're true. And so it, it's a confusing time to be alive. And I wonder if, uh, if maybe there's some truth in all of that static. I wonder if maybe, uh, maybe God is speaking too. And so the question then becomes, if we've got a noise full of static and a, a world full of noise and God also speaking, how do we tune into that voice? and land on something that's true and build our life onto that. So that's what I'd like to explore. I Hopefully uh, that piques your interest, you're interested in that. Um, but to, to open up that conversation, I wonder, um, as adults, I'm, I'm addressing you as adults. This is not summer blockbuster movie crowd. Like you guys are grown-ups, you have jobs, right? You've got families, you've got things like that. All right, so imagine with me, hypothetically, that you come to acquire a treasure map what would cause you to go on a journey to follow this treasure map to acquire a, an undetermined amount of money? Like, what, what, what would you need to convince you to leave your life and go after a promised treasure? Security? So you want, you want a guarantee that there's treasure at the end of the rainbow. Oh, 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 security. Okay, so I'm taking, taking an entourage with me. I want some protection. All right. Misread that. Okay, good. Good. You're a smarter man than me, I guess. Good. What else? What are some other things that you would want to, to leave your life for, for a time to go and hunt out this treasure? You can talk back at me. That's all right. Understanding tools. Understanding tools. It, it occurs to me. Uh, I saw a graphic that, um, that there was, was a, a picture of Canada, the, 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 the map of Canada, and there was a little red line that went from like half of Wisconsin, all the way, you know how Canada kind of comes down into the states a little bit? There's a little line that went from half of Wisconsin all the way across, and they said that 50% of the population of Canada lived below that line. I'm like, they're still in the United States. Now, if there are Canadians listening, I apologize. I know that's insensitive to me, but I'm like, they're practically also, or they're practically Americans. But the, but the rest of them are all scattered, and it's most of the landmass. and it occurred to me that if you wanted to hide a treasure like Canada, could probably be a good place to do that, right? Because there's a lot of space where there aren't a lot of people. And because it, I'm like, treasure hunt, like, come on, every treasure that has ever been lost has been found. Like, there isn't actually going to be a jackpot hidden somewhere, uh, realistically. So one thing that I would, would want to know is, like, where did I get the treasure map? Did I buy it from the treasure map store? Is there a treasure map salesperson trying to convince me that this is the best quality treasure map ever and that for five easy payments of $1,000, I can take this treasure map to the bank, right? You get what I'm saying? Like, okay, so the reliability of the person I got the map from. So if I'm buying it from a guy who's hawking treasure maps is different from if grandpa 
had it sealed and he found it and he got it from somebody that he trusted and he now has passed it on to me for whatever reason, and like now it's a fam, not only is it a family quest, but there also could be money involved. Like, okay, maybe I'll consider the authenticity of the map. Like, where the map came from is probably gonna be a pretty good indicator of whether or not I trust it enough to leave my life for a time and go hunt it out. Um, maybe, maybe the ability that I have to find it, because honestly, Canada is a great place to hide treasure because it's cold and I don't like the cold. Like, I don't think I could deal with. Canada, I just can't. I've been in Florida too long, um, which isn't very long, but it's long enough for me to not want to leave ever again. So um, we went to Indiana this summer, and I'm like, yeah, I, I want palm trees again. Like, this is not fun. Okay, so treasure map. What would cause you to leave on, on a quest, perhaps? Uh, this morning, I'd like, I will come back to this idea um, of, 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 of seeking and hunting out treasure. But this series is going to take us to a book of the Bible uh, in Proverbs. So if you want to navigate to Proverbs chapter 1. Oh, I'm going to have to do that too. I can't even tell you what page it's on yet. Proverbs chapter 1. And if you're going to use these blue Bibles, they're tucked, they should be tucked under the chairs in front of you. It's on page 662. Sorry. 662 in the Blue Bibles, Proverbs chapter 1. And before we go to that, uh, or as you guys are navigating there, as we're arriving there together, we'll pause together and we'll pray. It's our habit at Neighborhood Church to pray together the disciples' prayer. It's not a magic spell. You're not going to get a bunch of special blessings for praying these words exactly. But it's the model of prayer that Jesus left for us. And if we're going to pray it together as a community, it's helpful for us to use the same words. So the words are on the screen, and I'd invite you to pray it with me in your hearts. Um, if you'd like to pray out loud, then, then you're welcome to do that too. So let's begin with prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Proverbs chapter 1, and I'm just going to read verse 1 to get us started. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, King of Israel. That's, that's it. We're going to pause there. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, King of Israel. So at the outset of this book, I just want to set it in, in the time-space continuum for you. So I've, I've found this, uh, this map here, which is a timeline of biblical history. If we don't uh, if we assume that the Bible tells us everything about every date that existed, um, which in that case would take us all, which would put Adam and Eve about 4,000 years. I know that there's some disagreement about that. I'm just using this, uh, or I, I don't want to talk about that, but I want to just want to show you where we're at in the biblical timeline. So this is the biblical timeline that goes from Adam and Eve and then all the way up to Jesus at the end of the timeline. That's what we're looking at. So we've got Adam and Eve, and then we're coming up to uh, the Tower of Babel here. We've got Moses at 1500-ish, um, and then that's where the, 
where God takes apart a special people and says, hey, you guys are a bunch of slaves, but I'm going to turn you into a nation. So I'm going to take this family of 12 different brothers. I'm going to turn you guys into a special nation. I'm going to give you guys a land and things like that. After some time, they decided we want, to, we want some kings. We want an, a different kind of form of government. They established some kings. And Solomon is probably is the fourth king, depending on how you count them, uh, the fourth king of the nation of Israel, who, uh, and this is like before Jesus. So we're talking about Solomon. He was a guy who had a reputation for wisdom. There's a story in First or Second Kings, I should have put it in my notes, um, where God comes to Solomon and says, hey, let me, I will give you anything that you ask for, one wish, like genie stuff. Like God of the universe comes down and says, hey, I'll give you one wish. And he says, would you give me wisdom? And God says, yes, I will, because you didn't ask for treasure. I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to give you wisdom. And bonus, I'll give you long life too. So that's, that's where this book comes from. He was a guy who had a lot of, uh, or, or who has a reputation of having a lot of wisdom. I find him fascinating because when you read the biography of his life, you look at it and go, wow, this guy had this super good gift and he didn't use any of it. Like he really is by the end of his life a train wreck. And you know, if you, like, just read it. It's, it's really interesting. Okay, so that's who we've got. He, he was a guy who collected these Proverbs, collected the sayings, wanted to store up wisdom and communicate that to his nation. He was a ruler who wanted his nation to walk in wise ways, which was a novel thing, but here we are. Uh, let's continue reading in, in verse 2. So this is the reason why he's collected this. To know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let me pause. Um, you've probably had the thought, what maybe you had it this morning watching Kid Nation, that man, if I could like liquefy that and bottle that energy and sell it, like I'd make a lot of money. Like, like, that'd be amazing. So what if, perhaps, if you could distill down into liquid form uh, instruction and understanding and wisdom and righteousness and justice and equity, what if you could turn all of those things into, like, a soda, but you only had one cup of it, right? Who would you like to give a cup of common sense to? Who would benefit most from receiving a cup of common sense? Leadership? That's good. Yeah, for sure. Any other, any other idea? <clears throat> what about teenage boys? Anybody? Second motion? Teenage boys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so Solomon was the same kind of way. He looked at the world. He says, yeah, leaders could probably use some wisdom. That's really helpful. But what if we got to them before they needed it? What if, what if we met them at the place where they were most vulnerable to making really, really dumb decisions? And I say that as somebody who was a teenage boy uh, and has teenage boy tendencies occasionally. So this isn't like I'm not putting you on the spot, Logan or Max. Like, I'm just saying Grown-ups around you might say, if I could give somebody just a, just a cup full of, of making good choices, I would probably give it to 
a teenage boy. And Solomon was the same way. He, he says, all right, I'm going to write all of this so that the youth can gain understanding. So a young man can understand uh, wisdom and, and, and instruction and righteousness and, and justice and equity. Like, I want, I want, to, I want to get, strike while the iron's hot. I want, to, I, want to, I want to mold them at the point where they're most pliable, sometimes most resistant to, like, forming, but also the most pliable at the same time, Right? Um, so that's what, so, so as we go through and as we're looking in this series, Signal in the Static, the language is going to reflect a father, Solomon, speaking to a young man, I acknowledge that not all of us have been teenage boys, that some of us were young women and did not need as much wisdom. I'm just going to give you the credit. Um, and, and so we may be tempted as we go through this to be like, well, this, like, I'm, not a, I'm not a young kid. Like, this probably doesn't apply to me. And, and, and I, I just want to, to, to slow us down a little bit and say, it was originally written for Solomon's sons, and yet the wisdom contained therein is applicable to other people as well. He, as a father writing to his son, is going to warn of a woman who is really, really loose with her morals, and he's going to warn him not to sleep with her. And so all the women are like, cool, well, I'm not tempted to sleep with a woman, so this verse must not apply to me. Well, let's just, this, the wisdom contained therein is also applicable. If there's a guy who has loose morals, like it would be better for you not to sleep with him too, if we're going to just take the principle here. So I would I just, there, I, we're in an age where pronouns may or may not have any meaning, and I don't mean to say that insensitively if that's something that you struggle with, but I'm, I want to point out that in order for us to, to be able to have a conversation about this, we're just going to have to say, you're going to have to do the work of putting your pronouns in here, okay? I'm not going to do it because everybody needs to understand me, okay? Cool. So he's writing to young men. All right, so everybody with gray hair or no hair at all is like, excellent. I want to hear Solomon give some spankings. Let's, let's teach these young men how, how life ought to work. Let's, let's give them something to think about. Let's look together at verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So he's not only speaking to young men, he's also speaking to those who already have understanding, perhaps understanding through experience. So I feel confident as not the oldest person in the room to, to give some illustrations of these principles, not because I understand them, but because Solomon said it's going to be helpful for you too. And I don't necessarily know exactly how it's going to be helpful to you, um, but he's, his encouragement at the outset is, hey, just because you've been around the block a few times doesn't mean that, that, that you don't also need to revisit some basic principles of wisdom. Even when we have experienced truth, we're prone to neglect it. Even when we've experienced something that's true, we're prone to neglect it. How many times have, you, have, have we been in a situation and we're just so flustered and we're so frustrated, and we're like, why isn't this doing this thing? And somebody from outside comes in and says, well, hey, what about this? And the words they say are words that you know, but you had forgotten to apply them to this situation. Experience with truth does not mean mastery of truth. 
because we're prone to neglect the things that we already know. Uh, Peter, as he's writing, and he opens up his letter um, to the rest, of the rest of the Christians, he says, look, 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 I'm not teaching you anything new. We've already been through this. You have this information. I'm writing to remind you, and it's good for me to remind you of things that you already know. There's a benefit to it. Why? Because there's going to be times where we come to phrases that are similar and appear to be contradictory in this book. There's, there's times where he says, don't answer a fool, answer a fool. Verses right next to each other. Don't answer a fool, answer a fool. Well, which, which is it? Like, you can't say both of the things. You have to either give an answer or not give an answer. And the answer is, it, it, it depends. Because wisdom isn't just knowledge. It isn't just black and white knowing what the rule book says. Wisdom is knowledge applied. Wisdom is knowing what to do with knowledge. So, for instance, uh, if you look back at the Kid Nation door, they painted that door as they were going through Proverbs. And you will find, beautifully depicted by our artists in Kid Nation, a tomato vine. And you may wonder to yourself, why did they draw tomatoes on a door? Because knowledge is knowing that tomatoes are a fruit. And wisdom is knowing not to put them in a fruit salad. So you'll have tomato vines, and you'll have a bowl of fruit, and you'll notice they are separated because our children have been bestowed with wisdom. Now these are kind of ethical ideals. They're ideals, and there's an ethical component to them, but it's not the same as like a legal requirement. So as we go through, you'll you'll read problems and be like, well, I didn't do that. Like, does that mean that God hates me? It's not, it's not that kind of a thing. We're not talking like rules to follow. We're, these, are, these are ethical ideals, but they don't necessarily have a legal requirement. It's just, hey, life works better, typically. All other things uh, considered the same, type, life works better if you follow these principles. But there's a problem. From young to old, from teenage boys to grandpas, there's a problem. What we know prevents us from learning. What we think we know will prevent us from having the humility to learn something new. Do we know too much to learn? I had a a professor one time, um, and I asked him, it was at at the beginning of class, so this was off, off the top rope. This is what just came out of his mouth. I said, hey, if you could like, if you could do, like, if you could learn one thing about the Bible or have mastery over one subject of the Bible, like, what's the thing that you would want to know? And this is a guy who studied the Bible his whole life. He's, he's like 80 years old. He knows Hebrew uh, back and forward. He comes in one morning and he's like chuckling. He's like, oh. I said, what are you laughing at? He said, you guys, you guys are stuck reading the English translation of 1 Samuel. And Samuel is so funny if you can read it in the Hebrew. I'm like, wow, you're a jerk. But like, that's his level of familiarity with the scriptures, and, and I said, what would you like mastery over? And he said, the biggest gift I could give myself at this edge of my life is to forget everything I know and start over again. Do we know too much to learn? Here's the hinge of the whole book. It's going to come up over and over again foundational principle. If you miss this, the rest of this is is just static. It's just white noise in the world. Proverbs 1, verse 7. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is interesting. If you're skeptical about faith, you're like, oh, of course, they bring it back to God, I get it. So there are books in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that you can read which God is not mentioned at all. Like, you, you have to know how he's working in order to see him in the text. And there's times you're like, this is just a major coincidence. And, and, and you're like, yeah, well, that must be God working. Like, but his name doesn't show up in the book. The authors don't have to use his name explicitly to talk about his dealings in the world. And, and, and there are also books in the Bible that talk about Yahweh specifically, but they always refer to him by a different name. So we've been through in the last uh, several months, we've been through the book of Daniel, and oftentimes Daniel refers to God as the Most High, which is not like his actual name. It's just the Most High. It was, it was, it was a way to delineate the God of the Bible from the God of the Babylonians where Daniel was writing. So we don't necessarily have to have his name to, in, in order to talk about what God is doing. But Proverbs, Solomon, at a time where he didn't have to, chose to use the name the Lord. Now look at your, look at your text there. Lord is all capitalized. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before, but it's all capitalized because it signifies something special in the, orig in the original languages. So the Bible was not originally written in English. Um, it was originally written in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, and, and the English translations have been translated from the original. This isn't a game of telephone. I don't have time to get into that. But it's translated from the original. So this, in Hebrew, when you see Lord, all in capitalized, it's a specific Hebrew word. Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, and the Greek would translate it uh, with kurios, and that's why we put Lord in there, and we put it in all caps so that you know we're talking about the specific name of God. At the burning bush, when Moses asks God, who will I tell them sent me? God says, I am Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, I am the Lord, the God of Israel, and he's going to say that name over and over again. This is God's personal name that distinguishes him from every other deity that exists. It's like, um, who was I talking to that did this to me recently? I was talking to somebody, and, and their, their birth name isn't the name that they go by. And I had come across their name on some paperwork, and I was like, hey, is this you? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. That's how I know when the telemarketers call, whether they actually know who they're calling or whether they're just like going off of the paperwork. Because if they use my legal name, I know they don't actually know who I am. But if they call me and they ask for this name, then I know that they know who I am. This is God's like actual name that he goes by. Not just generic God, not just most high, but Yahweh the creator God of the universe. The fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. If we don't understand, if we don't understand that the world was created by Yahweh, then our understanding of the rest of creation is going to be broken from the outset. If we start from a point that tries to build a, craft the world or understand the world without the influence of the divine creator, then we're going to miss the mark every time. It doesn't mean that we can't get right sometimes. It doesn't mean that we cannot learn things from scientific observation. We can. But if our worldview and the way that we approach the world tries to pretend as though God does not exist, then the math is never going to add up. 
Now, we're in church on a Sunday morning. Everybody's like, yeah, of course God exists. I'm totally on board with that. And if you're not on board with that, then I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're exploring this. Um, but there, are, there have been times where if I'm really, really honest about the way that I'm approaching a situation, I have pretended as though God were not active in the situation. I've lived practically as an atheist, though you, if you asked me, I'd say, of course God exists. And that's why it's not just that God exists, it's the fear of Yahweh. Not, not necessarily terror and like, oh no, like he's going to smite me. Don't smite me, thou mightiest smiter. But, It's a seeing him for who he is, almighty creator of the universe, who before anything existed just spoke and the thing happened. He said physics and it just was. And we've spent the rest of human history trying to figure out the calculations that he spoke into existence. Everything that is, he just spoke it it and it happened. And that's a power that I don't really understand. And so there is an element of fear But it's, it's, how do I order my life knowing that that being exists? What are my priorities? The beginning of the book talks about, he set everything in order. He made an order to everything. Genesis 1 and 2 is that there's there's all this order and there's all this harmony. And everything that was created worked the way that it was supposed to. And it took, it took exactly two chapters. As soon as he introduces humanity to the situation, we, we mess it all up. And now we can go from the, we can buy into the principle that the world is not as it was meant to be. Something is broken. The initial harmony of creation has become distorted because man thought they knew better than the creator. They sought to be wise in their own eyes. And they rejected that which he had set forth for them. This is a truth that I think we know inherently. I think, I think for most people, like the things that keep us up at night is like, yeah, yeah, the world is not as it was meant to be. Something I know is broken. But sometimes, you know, in our waking hours, we can convince ourselves that this is how God meant for everything to work. He meant for politicians to lie, and he meant for the world to be crazy. And it's it, not everything is the way it was meant to be. But if we want to start on the right track of understanding and start on the right track of living a life uh, that works well, then we start with the understanding and the fear of Yahweh. But if you don't want to, like, that's on you? Cool. Solomon's not saying you got to pick one way or the other. He says, I'm just going to tell you the truth about where each path leads. So how, how do we, uh, how then do we develop a fear of the Lord? Like, like that's, a, that's a cool, like, church concept, but like, I got to go to work tomorrow. What do I what do I do? <laughs> what do I do? How do I take this little fear of the Lord, which seems like super important, but like how does that work in life? Like, does that mean I have to like I don't know, like be afraid every time I open a door that I'm gonna be smitten by the creator, like or that I'm gonna be uncreated, or like what, what do I how do I live my life? Like, what does it look like to walk in the fear of the Lord? Now, um, 
Hebrew teachers, as they taught, they weren't like Greek. So we, as Americans, we tend to think uh, in a Greek pattern, a lot, we would call it a logical pattern. And it's not that the Hebrews didn't have a logic, it's just that it's a different way of articulating language. So we would like to put things in bullet points and outlines that build on one another. So I got point one, and then I got sub point one, and I got A, B, C that supports sub point one, and I got sub point two, and sub point two and sub point one both support the big idea, and I've got these backing things, and like that's our logic of how we like to see things go. If you, if you like that, then read the letters the epistles in the end of the New Testament because that's usually how they are outlined. But when we're in the Old Testament, we're in Hebrew literature, the rabbis didn't teach like that. What they would do is they would mention a bunch of things all together, all a little bit random, and then they'd just start talking in circles. And every now and then they'd circle back and talk more about the thing that they mentioned before and they'll give a little bit more explanation. And by the end of it, you feel like you understood more, but you can't exactly figure out how you got to where you were going. So there's, there's a little bit of an argument in circles. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to move us from chapter 1, this introduction, to chapter 2. And then I'm going to trust Ryan next week to do the rest of chapter 1 for us. Because we like to think in a, in a certain kind of logic, and that's not how the book is laid out. So how do we develop a fear of the Lord? Look with me at Proverbs chapter 2. My son... If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand what? The fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So if you want to find the fear of the Lord, if you want to understand it, and grasp onto it, then seek wisdom. Uh, receive my words, treasure up my commandments, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart, incline your way of being to understanding. There's so many times where we get into a situation like, I don't know what I'm doing, I guess I'll just do this. And it's like, I'm not inclined to understanding, I'm inclined to action. He's saying if you incline your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight, seek the one who knows about how to walk before you just start walking in the dark. Like maybe it'd be helpful to turn on a light. Call out for insight. Raise your voice for understanding. Seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. So if you've got a treasure map, what's going to convince you to leave your normal life and go out and start digging somewhere. Perhaps if you've got the right entourage, there's definitely a wisdom there. You want people to have your back. You want big guys that can help you carry stuff home, right? If you're real smart and planning ahead. But what about, what about the reliability of the source of the map? What if the creator of the universe says, hey, this is treasure. Seek it out. Dig for it. Yeah, I got work tomorrow and the kids and school's starting this week. And so there's just a lot going on right now. And I don't know that I really have, have the time or the energy or the space. Like digging and crying and seeking. Like that sounds like a lot of work, God. And he says, it's treasure. I, I have it for you. If you look at the beginning of the book of James, 